Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and looking back at what has been an incredibly interesting international break. The last one before the World Cup, which is now under two months away. I can say that with certainty after last week failing to actually do the <laughs> dates. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Rank Governor Samsai. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. I am uh, slightly less broken than you. Which isn't saying that much. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're both in the no, wars. I'm, I'm on crutches. Yeah, I'm yeah, not I'm on crutches. No one else has ever been put on crutches by a blister, have they? This is genuinely quite yeah. embarrassing in many ways. But alas, here we are. How are you, Dean Jones? Are you a full, full bill of health? Yeah, uh, physically anyway. Um, <laughs> mentally, I haven't been there for a while. Um, i tell you what did nearly break me. I started watching a show on Netflix called Dharma. His monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. I don't know anything about this show. I don't know who this guy is. And I like, I thought, oh yeah, I like, I like stuff like this. I watched about 20 minutes of it last night. And I don't know if it's because I had a few beers the day before, but I just felt a bit anxious watching it. It was too, a bit too creepy. I turned it, I'm definitely going back into it. I'm not giving up because this is like in the top, like one of the top shows on Netflix at the moment. And I'm sure it's good. It's like 10 episodes of this thing. But this guy is a proper, proper creep in the way that he's getting people back to his apartment. And yeah, so I, I was a bit mentally broken last night after hearing your two's physical trauma. Dino, no no spoilers here, but I've, I've seen a tweet that says that it just read, absolutely nothing can prepare you for Dharma episode five. Oh my God, I'm 20 minutes into one. I think it was five. Oh it might have been six, but either way, something bad's going to come. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's scary for me, I think. I'm I can't out. imagine where this show... I, I love that I know nothing about it. Mm. don't know anything about the storyline. Yeah. But also, right. it's free. So Dean, I'm scared to get back in. So Dean's scared of the monster under the bed. Uh, Jack's got a blood blister the size of the county that he lives in. Someone went through the back of me at football on Monday night and need need me plush in the calf and my leg has gone completely dead. I can barely use it. So between us, we're, ex- we're not exactly a uh, an advert. For... Barely one person. Yeah. yeah. We'll tr- so we'll, we'll do we'll our, try best. our best. We'll do, we'll do our, our best. best to do no, our I'm podcast. excited. This is going to be, it's, it's been a fun international, you know, physical traumas aside, uh, it's actually been a really fun international break. Not necessarily in that loads of teams have been really good, um, but actually that it's been interesting to watch people develop and watch the nations, you know, try and set their stall out for the World Cup. And that's going to be the thrust of today's podcast. We're going to be talking about players who have basically catapulted themselves into selection, Sam, or at least into the you know, the the immediate thinking of their national team managers. And it makes for, well, some interesting listening, I think. So we'll be getting to that in the main podcast. We're going to start, what was, it's kind of a, a bridge, if you will, things we love. We're going to just do a little bit of World Cup watch on a more general level. Now, we talked about a lot of these countries in real detail on Monday's Patreon pod, um, our post box, where we spoke at length um, about England, about the USMNT, about France and Spain and Portugal and Denmark and 
both the South American giants, about Uruguay and Iran. We, we really did kind of rattle through the houses about the teams we'd spent the international break watching. So if you'd like to join us over on Patreon, we would love to have you. The link, as ever, is in the description to this. And during the World Cup, uh, we're going to be doing some profiles ahead of that on some certain teams. We're going to be doing pretty much, well, not necessarily daily, but the, the frequent updates um, across the course of it, as well as, of course, doing some bigger podcasts on this main feed. But we'd love to have you uh, across the course of the World Cup. It's going to be the hub for everything we do. But let's talk about some teams have, have struck an interesting chord, Dean. Yeah, um, I watched the France game um, at the weekend. They well, th- Obviously, France are like second favourites right now to win the World Cup. And um, a taxi driver actually just just chatting to him the other day, and we got talking about football, obviously. And he he said to me, you know, who do you who do you think will win the World Cup then? And, I, and I, it's the first time I've actually been asked that question, and so it kind of threw me because I haven't really thought about it. And I was like, uh, France. And he was like, oh, why? I was like, because uh, they're good at everything. Like they've they've got everything, and, and defensively, you have to be defensively sound to win a World Cup, and They've got, as we spoke about last week, like a ridiculous number of defenders to choose from, all of which are elite. And then they have like Mbappe and Giroud and stuff. And so I was not. like, yeah, that's that's not a bad that's not a bad thing for me to say at this stage, like off the cuff. Um, anyway, so I watched France lose two 0 to Denmark at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and well, one thing it does is it gives everyone a bit of hope, yeah, because you know France are the reigning world champions. Obviously, beat Croatia four two in the 2018 World Cup final. I was thinking about it and looking at the lineup, and I was like, okay, what are they going to do here? And look, basically, Didier Deschamps is feeling a bit of flack because it seems that a lot of French followers are pretty sick of him playing a 3-4-1-2. They don't like it. They feel it's... The general vibe seems to be it's completely unnecessary. They don't need to be doing this. There is a much more simple way for this team to function with four at the back and Griezmann not playing as a number 10 behind Mbappe and Giroud. There seems to be like quite a lot of ill feeling about it. Um, look, there are other issues that were on display too. I mean, defensively, they played Upamecano, Saliba and Badia Shields, their back three. They're way too young and inexperienced. Like they were, they, they're just not a combination that seems necessary at the moment. I think Varane was, yeah, Varane was on the bench. Um, he played the game before, seen... didn't he, Varane? He was very good. He played the game before, and and I I can't help but feel like Varane's going to be absolute nailed on mm-hmm. for this team once we get to World Cup time. But more than that, you know, Mendy and Ariola they played, they didn't cover themselves in glory. And in front of the defence, in centre midfield, was Camavinga and Chuameni, two of the boys. best players in that position in the world, but both twenty years old. And in international football, you get shown up. Said on Patreon the other day, that is exactly what happened here. No matter how good you are at 20 years old, in international football, you come up against a threesome like Hoybier, Eriksson and Thomas Delaney, you don't win. Because there's a certain amount of nous that is needed to get through. And Denmark, Denmark taught them a lesson, really. Maybe it was a good lesson to learn, but... The lesson I learned is that France might be their own worst enemy going into this World Cup. And it might be that Didier Deschamps overcomplicates things because they have so many good players to pick. It is difficult for him to satisfy everyone and find something 
that works. I mean, I would say, look, mate, just go 4-3-3 and get on with it. It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Sounds like an England yeah. parallel, that. So many good players, yeah. can't satisfy everyone. Uh, I like the way you've um, you've taken the average of Kamavinga and Shuameni's ages and just called them both 20 when one's 19 and one's 22. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Dean's like, yeah, they're both right. 20. Um, it was, it, but, but it was it was a very inexperienced central core, wasn't it, of the five? I mean, look, for France's perspective, Luca Hernandez... If he, if he can make it, because obviously he just did his groin, we'll play left centre-back, Pavard probably on the right, and um, and Varane in the middle. So it looks like a very different team. Ideally, it's Kante Pogba. Who knows if they're going to play? So maybe more than anybody, France are sweating on the on the fitness of about half of their first-choice team mm-hmm. as we creep towards November, which is definitely not a situation you want to be in. And even if they do make it to be fit, how sharp are they? It's pretty dodgy ground. Yeah, I quite totally. liked, you know what, when the when the three at the back for France first sort of came into, I would say, full-blown existence in that Nations League campaign that they won, mm-hmm. I quite liked it. You know, I, I thought it, it got the best out of a, a number of players, notably Teo Hernandez, yep. um, who obviously is, is one of the best in the world uh, in his position. And, and I do wonder if this is a, a system geared towards when this first choice 11 are all fit, it actually might well be the system that works best for France because yep. it allows a lot of players to have the freedom they deserve. But in when you're kind of shuttling in replacements, and look, mm-hmm. we spoke about France's depth at centre-back and it is outrageous, um, but you do need some heads in there, you know, that, that, that can guide people along. It's, you know, and an inexperienced core, as you say, with the eldest member of it being 20, Two twenty-three um, is going to be. You know, they're going to they're going to come up against teams who who just know how to exploit the little triggers that that maybe they get a little bit more of in, in club football, and they have a little bit more guidance in that regard. International football is is slightly different, and it's something that you know people learn. Of it. You can't play every international game like a club game. It's not. It's it's a different intensity. It's a different tempo. Different things work out on the international stage that perhaps do at club level. So there's nothing against these players. Obviously, Saliba's had a wonderful start to this season. Um, and and yet he didn't look particularly comfortable or confident in this French setup. And I thought that was, you know, if you have a player in the form that Saliba's in uh, and, you know, and playing the way he is for Arsenal, you want to be getting the most out of that because there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever about his talent levels. Um, mm-hmm. But this setup and, and with the players around, it just didn't work for all of them. Similar with Camving and Chiumeni. You know, this, these are two absolutely world-class, as you say, players, Dean. But they were just kind of given the runaround a little bit by Denmark. And I, and I just do think maybe it's just a question of now and, and actually making sure that the system fits the players you've got at the time. If, if Deschamps is drilling this system, that you know, the 3-4-1-2, because he believes that all of his first-choice 11 are going to be back by the time that it, you know, it comes around to Qatar, fair enough. But it just there is a question of if the if all of those players aren't back and there are severe question marks over some of them, you know, especially Pogba and Kante, um, you know, how do you how do you address that in terms of setting up your team in order that you can cover for those issues and, and those absences? And and right now I think both of those things have maybe got on top of France a little bit. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. Yeah, it's that's that identity problem. Yeah, and it's a major thing in international football because you don't get the time you do at club level to, to drill players into a system. Mm. You have to try and make it work for the players available to you at any given point. And and that's why international management is such a is such a tricky task, you know, at the best of times. And um, before we move on, I just wanted to briefly shout out both Brazil and Argentina. Um Argentina look set. Now obviously we're recording this before they play their second game of the international break tonight. Um and so if they go and lose this evening then this is going to sound a bit silly but they do what to Jamaica do feel 
look if they you know that's bobby deckled over reeds jamaica i think you'll find um and um <laughs> and, and we all know what a talent that boy is um so it's you know it could this could backfire but i think you know you tweeted something similar sam argentina feel like one of the sides who are the most set going into this world cup the system they know exactly how they're playing they know the personnel in the majority of these roles um even if they have got that glut of, of players who are a little bit in that kind of number 10 wide second striker mold um it does feel like argentina are one of the better place sides in terms of, of how they set up they know exactly how they're going to play that midfield kind of dual eight core of, of Rodrigo de Paul and Giovanni Lo Celso looks excellent again um to Paul in, in particular in that game against Honduras was absolutely sensational um got a standing ovation from both sets of fans as he walked off the pitch which is quite impressive when you're playing on the same same patch turf and uh, as a twice scoring Leo Messi um mm. so so Rodrigo de Paul's performances there were very very impressive and just like the way that Argentina is set up it feels like they're in a really really good place um and I'm excited to watch them in Qatar. Now, they obviously have the potential to implode. Pretty much everybody does. Um, but across the course of it, I'm, I'm just really excited about, about watching them. And I'm very kind of high on Argentina going into this World Cup. Obviously, they were the first draft pick that we took here. And and he they, they kind of, I think, deserved to be. Um, but second in those picks for Brazil. And while there are slightly more question marks, I would say, over Brazil, the one thing that you can kind of determine at this point brazil are fun they're great fun they play beautiful football they play joyful football they feel like a really really nice united group um and and i think that when you're looking at you know the two south american giants if you will um you, you really are looking at the two teams who are right up in the top bracket for this world cup two of the favorites outright to win this competition and it's and i think it's great you know, generally just across the course of this, we've seen a lot of European dominance, well, kind of unbridled European dominance for a long time. And so to see the South American powers, I think, back and playing well and, and looking like they could cause a stir at the World Cup, I think is is great for the game um, generally. But also to see Brazil playing in this way is just incredibly enjoyable. And I'm having a really nice time, frankly, <laughs> my, is my big takeaway from watching Brazil. They're great fun to watch. They, you know, they play lovely football. They they attack. They are unbridled. Paqueta played in the eight alongside Casemiro, giving them that kind of more thrust going forward. You know, that's a midfield three, if you will, on paper. I think it's more than 4-2-3-1, but a midfield three on paper of Casemiro, Paqueta and Neymar. It's loads and loads of fun. And, mm. and I've just really enjoyed watching them. So, yeah, that's my big takeaway. Brazil are, are, are lovely to watch. Argentina feel in a good place. And I'm delighted to be saying those things because for so long, it's just felt like the European nations were the outright favourites and there was going to be no challenge to that and hasn't been for you know quite some time. So, yeah, just from that perspective, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Brazil are the actual favourites with all the bookies. Um and Paqueta was getting a lot of love on the back of that performance. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot. I haven't actually seen the game, but I've I've seen a lot of people like writing about how how well he fitted into that system. So that that's interesting. Maybe I mean, he's had he's had plenty of plenty of runs in this Brazil team. I mean, he was in the Copper team that lost lost out to Argentina. You know that summer, he's he's a, a very well established part of this Brazil team, which is why it was all the more crazy when you were like. In the summer, where he's like, right, he's genuinely going to West Ham. Like, what a coup this is! He's he's a player that that steps onto the pitch with Neymar and Casemiro and Vinicius Junior and looks right at home and has done for over a year. It's mm. he's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there have it. A little bit of World Cup watch there, and after that, we're going to be getting into the main ranking, which is coming at you after the break. Don't go anywhere. 
Champions League football is back and streaming on Paramount Plus in the US. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration starts on September the 6th with the biggest stars, top teams and craziest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid defend their title against Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona and more in football's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second of regulation time, stoppage time and extra time and stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live starting on September the 6th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our main ranking. We'll be talking about the players who have made themselves, probably not undroppable, but have made their case over the course of this international break, who have given their national managers something to think about at the very least. And so, Sam, I hand it over to you. Yeah, I think the way I would I would sort of describe this is that the, these five players, over the course of the last week or so, uh, somewhere between seven and nine days, have really cat- catapulted themselves into a different conversation in their national manager's eyes. That may be guaranteed starter at the World Cup, having perhaps not been that before. It may just be making their managers think they might be due for a bigger or more expansive role. It may be just getting on the plane at all. And you don't really expect with, you know, two months to go for players to be forcing themselves into these setups. But I think I think the five players we're going to discuss today have actually managed to do that. And that is very, very impressive to do in the space of a week, given we are so close to Qatar. So I'll start at number five and they kind of ranked through, um, you know, number one is I think I think I think number one may have gone from uncapped to guaranteed starter at the World Cup, which is which is a some transition. That's a but jump. No, it is, yeah. At number five, we'll go with a player who will definitely have already been going to Qatar. Um, but has probably made his manager think a little bit about whether or not he wants to start him or how expansive a role he wants to play. And it's Cody Hakpo of the Netherlands. And start with a, a little service announcement. This is Cody Gakpo, but we found out recently that he pronounces his name as Hakpo. He's Dutch. That kind of makes sense. So if you don't know who that is, so I hadn't put the pieces together. We're talking about the PSV dude. Um, look, he's been a, a pretty consistent part of this Netherlands team since... I'd say at least June. Um, he's probably about seven or eight caps deep at this point. So it's not like he's just burst onto the scene. He played three games in June. So he was probably always in the thinking. The question now is, based off the back of that Sunday night performance against Belgium, how big a role would Louis van Gaal want to give Hakpo? And how big a role can he actually take on? Because on Sunday, he was brought off the bench in the... Th- uh, about 30 minute mark because Steven Berghaus got injured. He chucked him into the middle of the pitch, like right in the middle. I was sat there on my sofa. I was thinking, what the hell are you doing with him? This is not what Cody Hakpo is. This is not what you do with him. What, what's happening? And he kind of ended up in this like free 10 role. And the Dutch play like a five, two, one, two shape. I'd probably mm. describe it as they've got two central midfielders, a 10 and two strikers. There are no wingers. Of course, Dumfries is up the right, you know, thinks he's a striker, all that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, they need someone to play in the 10 role. Now, they've got like, you know, they would usually have Gini Wijnaldum. They've got David Klaassen. Um, they've got Berghaus. They've got a few options. Hakpo was never really, never really in my mind here as a potential 10. And, and I'll throw it to you guys. Did you ever really think, look at this player and think, oh, yeah, free roaming 10. Let's go. <laughs> no, I mean, that's not what. That's not Man United thought they were going to be buying if they got him. <laughs> not really, no. And it's not really what he's done at club level, is it? But it's not. But 
but ultimately it's it's, uh, it's been a very fruitful existence and actually it's a strange one in some ways because you know you look at it and you think okay you know where does he fit and how does this kind of Netherlands side line up and the play you probably naturally put in that hold in that kind of area is Memphis right um, but Memphis yeah. is very much an out and out striker for for the Netherlands and that makes things a little bit different yeah absolutely I mean look we're all we've all been blindsided by this but I don't feel bad about it because I mean, I, I refer to, to tactics writer Jose Perez here, who's a good follower on Twitter. Uh, he also lives in Eindhoven and goes to watch Hackpo very frequently. And he said, basically, I had no idea that he could do this. The role he does for PSV is, you know, left wing, diagonal runs in towards the box or crossing and trying to shoot. He's been amazingly productive this season, but from a very obvious and kind of limited role. So him dropping into the 10 and then just showing such variation to his game, runs left and right of the box, link play, really polished. He ends up assisting the winning goal, which is Van Dijk's header. But the movement and the freedom and the poise, I think, shocked a lot of people. And he does actually look like a really nice fit for that number 10 role behind the two strikers, who at this point, fitness permitting, you would expect to be Memphis and Steven Bergwijn, which means that he needs a 10. It's not going to be Vijnaldum because he's not going to be fit. He's got a couple of calls to make. But this is the kind of cameo that makes you think this could actually be Hatpo's role. And he'd basically slot in ahead of Frankie and one of Cope Miners or Martin Daron. And this seems like an obvious win. The question, of course, is can Memphis and Hatpo actually coexist? Because we don't have that much to go on there. And we've never seen Hatpo in this role. I would assume yes, but it is probably the only remaining question. Yeah, no, I think that that's fair enough because, I mean, look, this is this is still a relatively small sample size, right? Mm. And then that's ultimately what we're going to. It's minutes. not like well, it's not <laughs> like Hack, it's not like Hackpo is going to go back to PSV and they'll be like, right, you're in the ten now because that's just yeah. not how they play. So, I mean, it's a big call, but right now I just don't really see anyone taking take him out of it because in the form he's in, and we you know we've talked about this in in a bit more depth generally across the course of this pod, but the form he's been in to start the season has been red hot. Um, and so, therefore, you kind of want a player like that getting into this side, you know, as much as they can. And and I suppose the kind of trick is if, if you're looking at, you know, this front line and whatever, and, you know, I don't think Vincent Janssen is going to be leading the line at the World Cup. Let's have it that way. No. Um, is, you know, we, we assume it's going to be Memphis and, and Bergvine. They make quite a nice little dovetailing three, don't they? Because they can all kind of move yeah. around in these positions. And and I think maybe that's what gives Hagpo the edge here is that, you know, if he does decide that he's going to go, you know, pounding down the left, as we've seen him do so regularly at, at club level, then Memphis can drop in to this spot quite naturally and, and, and have that kind of free reign that he wants in there as well. So I'd be surprised now if we get to the first day of the World Cup and, and Hakpo isn't starting because of, of what he's achieved this season and the fact that Louis van Gaal seems to want to squeeze him in, you know, wherever he can, even if the, on paper it doesn't necessarily fit everything you'd want from from Hakpo. Yeah, so I've put him at number five and that might end up looking a little low, but I'm just not sure, you know, because it is yeah. such a big um, statement of a performance from him with so little time to go. It's only 60 minutes. We'd never seen him do it. And as you say, Jack, he's not going to go back to PSV and play this role. So we're not going to see much more of it. So it does feel like a big call either way at this point, but I'm not so, I'm still not really that sure. So I popped him in at number five. Uh, we'll go to four. And this is where Amadou Onana of Belgium sits. Um, he has two caps for Belgium. Uh, he got his first in June and he got his second on Sunday. So 
adding that big transfer to Everton. It's been a hell of a three months for Amadou Onana and congratulations mm-hmm. to him because his career has been truly transformed in the last quarter of a year, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's his task now, basically, to nudge Yuri Tielemans out of the starting eleven for Belgium to play alongside Axel Witzel. And given that he's only just emerging and given he only has two caps, it does feel like a bit of a stretch. But from what I saw of them over the course of the international break, it's got me wondering whether or not he actually might be a crucial piece for Roberto Martinez. I'll explain why. And the first thing to explain is that I think we're going to have to um, adjust our expectations on Belgium a little bit in terms of how they play. I think they've been an anomaly at the international level for a long time in that they've wanted to play possession football, haven't they? They've been pretty free-flowing, very attacking. They play wingers at wing-back like Carrasco and they go for it. And they've prioritised having the ball rather than being solid. Not many national teams do that, but Belgium have been different. I think they're having to make some compromises now though, guys, because this team has not refreshed very well. I went back to Euro 2016 and looked at their last two games there. And guess who started? Well, it's Courtois, Mernier, Alderweireld, Matongan, Witzel, Carrasco, Azard, De Bruyne and Lukaku. Golden gen. It's the golden gen. And they're still all there. Like if all nine of those players start the first game of the World Cup, there's not a soul on earth that would be surprised. The only thing that's changed is that Timothy Castagna has come in and there's a new central midfielder not named Rajan Nangalan. That's it. Hmm. That's literally it. That's the only difference. So... Many of them are over 30. Unfortunately, Eden Hazard is a shadow of his, of his former self and the defence is now getting on a bit and is now starting to look a bit more questionable, which is why Belgium are probably going to have to tweak, sit a little bit deeper, have a little less control on the ball and be a little bit more solid in their foundation because they have to protect some of these players. They're not as good as they were. And they also seem to want to give total freedom to the front three, which is still Hazard, De Bruyne and Lukaku. But if you could sit in a 3-4-3 and have seven or eight in protection, seven behind the ball, really, and let those three go to work and work off a structured formation, you can win almost any game in international football in transition using these three players. De Bruyne and Lukaku are that good. And we are going to see a transition towards this, which is why I look at Onana as someone who is more defensively secure than Tielemans and wonder if maybe he's a better fit for that more structured approach. The other thing I noticed, and this is also very important, is that while they do kind of play 3-4-3, Kevin De Bruyne played almost no time on the right side of the pitch in his kind of like where he'd be the right 10 or the right attacking mid. He just wasn't there. He was actually on the left alongside Hazard. He was sat there with him like 10 yards apart, five yards away from him combining the whole time. It was totally lopsided. So open this absolutely gaping hole on the right-hand side. And do you want Yuri Tielemans you know, dealing with that much space defensively? Probably not because he's not the most mobile. And is he the player that can actually surge into that space when it's open to start um, breaking through and 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 and, and forcing, forcing missed tackles and things like that? Also, probably not. But Onana actually is. And and I had this kind of brave wave, brainwave over the course of, over the course of the weekend that look, he's very inexperienced. But if you're going to get the best out of the team manage its limitations and let De Bruyne do what he wants to do in a free roll. Actually, there might be a changing of the guard coming here. Only two caps in, but he looks like he might be quite tactically important. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a very interesting one, isn't it? I mean, the, the, it also raises questions over Axel Witzel, right? Who obviously is, is getting on a, a wee bit. He's 33 now and that's fine. Um, 
But more than that, he's played basically centre-back for the entire yeah. season at Atleti. And, and I do wonder if, if there is, I mean, look, this is, this is, this would be a late, late tweak, but, you know, as you mentioned, you know, this, this defensive line is getting on a little bit. Um, obviously we've seen Debas come in and he, he did okay. Yeah, he's uh, all right. Not great, but he did all right. Um, then Donker played a little bit in, in, in center back. It was all a bit kind of all over the place. And I wonder if Witzel was someone that could drop back in there um, and maybe free up space to go an honor anti element. Oh, um, I thought you were going to say drop Witzel. I was like, that's bold, man. But you're not saying I, that. I you're saying drop him, drop him 10 Witzel. yards. <laughs> drop him 10 yards. Let him do what he does for Atleti, where I think he's been okay, to be perfectly honest He's been with good. You. Yeah, I, you know, it's playing in the middle of a back three and, and, and being able to carry the ball out there gives him a little bit of a different dimension. I wonder if there is something that that, that tweak sort of nails in in some ways to try and get them to to basically have a little bit more expansiveness in in this back line reduce the age even if it is just slightly because Witzel mm. is is not a young man at this point um but but then again gives that kind of option to, to play Tielemont and Onana in that gap exploit the spaces as you say um that De Bruyne leaves behind when he kind of draws into the middle um without necessarily losing the passing ability and, and kind of tempo control that Tielemont offers yeah, the problem there is that that might be the slowest backline at the World Cup. Mm. Witzel, yeah. Alderweireld, Vertonghen, like it's almost geriatric. It's 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 that is a big. I mean, if they protect them well, fine. But I'd be I'd be I'm worried either way. I'm not worried. I'm not Belgian, but I'd be concerned for them either way. But like, yeah, that is a possible solution. But I don't think he's going to want to make that backline even slower. Then Donka might have to be the pick there. But yeah, I mean, Tielemans is not having a good season, you know, um, no. and. He probably thought he was fine in the Belgian context, and and now this has happened. And he, I think, he needs to seriously buck up to make sure that he can stave off the threat of Onana, who, again, very inexperienced, but seems to solve a few problems for them here. Then they need to solve them. Yes, indeed. Okay, let's go on to number three. All right, number three, and I cannot believe I'm sat here saying this is Eric Dyer. <laughs> um, he was last capped ahead of this weekend, anyway. Uh, or this break, he was last capped in November 2020. Um, we beat Iceland 4-0. I'd actually forgotten this game even happened because when I think Iceland, I only think of, of course, the disaster at the Euros. Um, but yeah, we went and got revenge, so to speak, and Dyer played. And look, he was actually a big part of that, that team in that tournament. But from that point, he completely dropped off the map. No caps for almost two years. Missed the entire World Cup cycle. Has missed the entire year after the World Cup couple of injuries and issues and he gets brought back in obviously he's been fantastic for Tottenham at the center of a back three Conte has done wonders for him and he has been very very good since Conte came in and um, he goes and starts two games for England uh, in this break and well I'm starting to think that not only is he going to be in the team but he's probably going to start for England at the World Cup I mean we might actually be in that situation this is one hell of a turnaround isn't it mm. yeah it's um, quite the redemption arc yeah, I mean, look, we know that Gareth Southgate's going to call on people he trusts. Um, we, we've seen he he hasn't tr- he doesn't really played people so far that um, probably deserved a, a chance on form. Um, Ivan Tony, for example, like couldn't have done any more to to give himself a chance of some of minutes um, at international level and doesn't get a sniff. Um, Harry Maguire starts against all logic. Like feel sorry for Maguire. Really, like 
fault for both or well, two of the three goals against Germany. Um, but you know, it's a player playing without form or confidence, and yet Southgate feels the need to put him in there, even at a time when he's at such a low point. And so it just shows you time and time again that they will they will pick players that don't necessarily deserve it. But with Eric Dyer, you know, he's playing in a Tottenham team that are obviously going to be very resilient this season and a part of a a setup that well, largely we've seen them play counter attacking football. I mean, I don't think Tottenham can do that all season. But um so far they've they've built a foundation and then they've they've just looked to explode out of it. Um but yeah, he's he's definitely played his way into the thinking for a, a starting role now at the World Cup. Um, he will he'll prevent the other team from overpowering your back line. That's probably the way I would best describe like Dyer's um, ability in that defence. He's got an unbelievable reading of the game. It helped him massively that he he went abroad at a young age and and developed there out of the limelight. Um, where players are brought up in England. And also, you know, he'll dominate in the air a lot of the time. I think Germany found him gen- generally pr- pretty difficult to, to overcome. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, you know, sp- first half Germany, to be honest, offered, offered not very little in that game. And that they clearly lack a nine themselves. They brought Werner on. It changed things a little bit, but mainly it was it was the threat of Musiala and Havertz that, that England struggled with. Um, so, yeah, I think Eric Dyer. He's going to be starting that first game against Iran. I, well, I will, I'll actually be surprised if he's not. I mean, it does mean that one of Carl Walker or John Stones probably isn't playing because Southgate's really nailing his colours to the mast on Harry Maguire here. So it's like, yeah. which one of them doesn't play if they're all fit? And it it's, might might be John yeah, Stones because he, he keeps um, getting injured. But I, uh, Yeah, look, Harry Maguire like, is still a very, very, very good footballer, right? And I saw um, there was a couple of Insta Insta accounts from the US making fun of Harry Maguire. Actually, Hercules Gomez, who's like um, uh, an expert on on the the US and um, South American game, and he tweeted, and I saw a USMNT account picked it up and ran with it. It was like, uh, target Harry Maguire. That's how the US will get success out, out of beating England. And I was like, do you know what? And like, there was all these laughing emojis. I was like, if the US had Harry Maguire, he would be the best defender they've ever produced. Hang on. <laughs> so again, you've, you've just forgotten Tim Reed. Tim Reed can go away for a second. <laughs> Harry Maguire would be the best defender they've ever produced. So look, and he's become a laughing stock online and all this stuff. And I, f- I genuinely feel for the guy at the moment because to get to where he is in football, to become an £80 million footballer, to play as many games as he has for England, to do what he did with Leicester, to earn that move to Man United, is so, so hard to do. Anyone that is listening to this podcast, Harry Maguire is 10 times better than all of us, right? Um, and yeah, everybody picks and, and him. The, and the rest. Yeah, and exactly. the rest. Like, and right? the rest. Harry yeah. Maguire is, is a very good footballer. The question isn't necessarily what Harry Maguire's ability is. this isn't it. It's his form. It, yeah. Form. And it's 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 the fact that, you know, 
But at the moment, you can you can target him, and I know that it's become like a you know an online snowball, Dean. And I and I agree with you in that, like obviously this is the point. But you know, Harry Maguire last night, the two first Germany goals are both his fault. He gives the ball away and then gives away a penalty, does, and then yeah. he goes charging up the field and loses the ball in a dangerous area. England get overwhelmed, and Kai Havertz whacks in an absolute screamer. Yeah, but they're they're both his fault. Now that isn't being like Harry Maguire is a bad footballer. That's not the point. It's not you know we're not doing this, and we don't do this on this podcast because it's not it's not our style but th- there could be almost no doubt at this point that anybody else in this side would be dropped now you, the argument was that harry Maguire had never let england down had always performed for gareth southgate and that's a fine argument you can you can make that argument but i would suggest after the performances the you know the first half um in the game against city he was all right but there, as you mentioned on monday there are moments of panic in there yesterday i thought he was poor there is coming a point here where you, you look at it and go how much longer can you continue this, you know, this faith? Because you're not being repaid it. No, wow. the, the, look, the thing is on both of those goals, right? Just and we're not even supposed to be talking about Harry Maguire, but the first one, it's Musiala, right? It is Musiala who is full of confidence right now. He is one of the most talented young players in the world. Like, yeah, US on their day, maybe Pulisic or Gio Reyna could produce that. But at the moment, like neither of them is showing particularly great form that they could do that. But yeah, Brennan, sure. Johns- Brennan Johnson could though. And he's in that kind of form. Um, But then the second goal, Maguire actually, the reason he's out there in the first place is because he's actually, and he does this quite often for England, he's intercepted a ball Mm -hmm. in that half of the pitch. He's won the header. And then what he's actually allowed to do a lot of the time, I've noticed, is he's allowed to then stay forward. And he did it quite a few times, actually, in that Germany game. And he would stay kind of in that left channel. Now, obviously, like when you look at it in a smaller chunk, you look at it, he's like, hang on, Harry Maguire's dribbling left to right 30 yards from goal into a dangerous area and he's lost possession and they've gone and scored. So in that isolated moment, 100%, obviously, you're going to look at it and be like, he is at fault there. That, But that's just a micro moment of that whole performance that he's undergone. But yeah, Eric Dyer is a more <laughs> trustworthy player than Harry Maguire. Yeah, I agree. Right especially now. right now. Right yeah. now, yeah. Right he now, is. he is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to stick up for him for a moment. <laughs> Should have, he made the wrong call. Should have been wearing green. You know, it's, uh, he would have been loved. He'd been absolutely loved. Um, right, <laughs> onwards, Sam, number two. Okay, number two, uh, we're going to talk about Eda Militao of Brazil. Um, now, Militao... <laughs> would probably be most countries in the world's best centre-back. Um, he'd be England's England, best. got Harry Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't start with Nathan Collins for the boys in green, I'll tell you that. Uh, he'd be England's best for sure. He'd be Belgium's best. He'd probably be Spain's best. There's even an argument, apologies in advance to those that are affected, he might even be better than anything Argentina have right now, even though their system Ooh. is obviously better Ooh. than... Uh, sure than, about that. Than okay. Yeah, I don't, I, don't think he's, I don't think he's worse than any of them, to be honest with you. Really I'd say he's so. not quite as good as Christian Romero, but fine, we can move on. God, yeah. Um, but... Uh, for Brazil, he's maybe third best, which is just nuts. I hate this so much um, because Marquinhos <laughs> exists and Thiago Silva exists. So obviously Militao's had a pretty healthy amount of playing time over the course of the last couple of years for Brazil. Like he comes in and out, he comes in and out. But when it comes to your starting defensive line for the World Cup, you play your best. It's very possible that Eddie Militao was not necessarily seen as one of the best two centre-backs. But... Well, a couple of things. First of all, he was always going to have to be parachuted in here and there because Thiago Silva 
there's just no way he can play a game every three or four days. Based on what we've seen from Chelsea and the way they've managed him over the last 18 months, they've been very clear that on the fact that Thiago Silva cannot play that often. And so Christensen came in quite often as a relief mechanism. And Brazil were probably going to have to do something like this for the World Cup. They're also probably looking at Edda Militao now and going, oh, actually, you might be our right back. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because, well, up until June, Danny Alves was still playing for this national team. Um, he didn't get selected for this international break, which might mean that at 39, bless him, his international career is finally over. The other two best options, yeah, stunning. The other two options are Danilo or Emerson Royale. I would would give that a bit of a, a shoulder shrug, to be honest with you, in terms of quality compared to the rest of the team. So Militao comes in and plays right back against Ghana. 3 0, easy stuff. He's played loads of right, right back in his career. I saw him play it for Porto plenty of times. And while he's not naturally an attacking right back, he is very good and can slot in and play the role. And maybe Brazil can get a little bit more out of that left back, you know, in attacking sense and maybe play with a bit of a lopsided tee. Like it's no difference to what the Dutch do when they're now playing daily blind at left back. Yeah, or what the Italians playing, did in the Euros, right? Yeah. And they're playing Dumfries at the right at right back. And the Italians did the same thing. Spinazzola on the one side and Di Lorenzo on the other or Florenzi. So I suspect really that while Militao was always going to be in a squad and that's not necessarily the case for the guys we've had before us, he's gone from like rotator centre-back for Silva if he needs it to first choice right back and also can you slot inside for the third group game when Thiago Silva needs a rest, which is awesome for him. Stock up, stock up, buy stock on Edda Militao. It also opens up a quite a cool little conversation elsewhere, which is... If that's the case, then do they have room for another centre-back? And they probably do. And it looks like a dogfight between Bremer and Ibanez, which I think mm. Bremer might win, but I'm not sure. We don't know. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I, I, look, I really like Edwin he's he's, he's he's been quite popular on this podcast for a long time. Um but yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure. Now, I know, as you say, we've seen him play right back, especially in those first years at Porto, a lot. Um, and and he was fine there, but I kind of expected Brazil's fullbacks to fly. Um, mm. But considering that they have the options, and and you know that tilt, as you say, you, especially you know depending on on who plays where, if Rafinha is playing in front of him, you know Rafinha is a is is a hard working winger and mm. kind of always has been and has the ability to cut inside. And and actually, it's going to be interesting to see what they do if Militao does start right back because we, we know what Rafinha is and he is not a get to the byline and sling it in kind of player. Now, that's not how Brazil play anyway, so it's not necessarily a problem. Um, but it does mean that the kind of you're expecting if he's going to be doing that and cutting inside, you're expecting your right back to be going on the overlap. Mm. And and I wonder where that comes from. And and actually, it comes us back, takes us back quite nicely to to a point we made right at the start about where Paqueta's role in this side is. Because Neymar naturally drifts left. Vinicius is going to be out there, and we're talking about tilting a, a left back further up the pitch. I wonder if part of the Lucas Paqueta as an eight thing is that he can get out and get wide, mm. and and you know, and create in those areas as well because he has the capacity to do that. We've seen him play in a number of different roles across his career. Um, and I wonder if that's part of it in that you can be like, okay, so basically this becomes a back three in possession. You know, Militao s- sticks around, hangs back. Casemiro sits in front of them. Paqueta is the man who drifts out onto that right-hand side in order to create overloads. So it does kind of free up different things in the rest of this team as well. But I completely agree. And I, I'm with you. And I think he will start this tournament as Brazil's first choice right back. 
Yeah, I mean, look, it is a bit of an issue that he may not be able to to carry out that kind of like overlapping role at times, at times. I mean, Rafinha, to, to his credit, can then hit the byline and then dribble literally along the byline, along the goal line towards goal because he's got such twinkle toes. He can open the game out in different ways. But then if you're saying, oh, well, Edmilson shouldn't play there because he can't do the overlap function, which Brazilian right back are you are you looking at that no, I I'm... can't see? No, not you, uh, anyone yeah. else. Like who who are you seeing that they can call up that can actually do this? Because Danilo isn't going to do it, and Emerson Royale should not be trusted to cross a ball ever. So it's like you might as well you might as well add the defensive solidity. You might as well work the team around this. And you know it's a tournament. You've got to be. You've got to. At times, you're going to have to shut up shot. You are going to have to be a little bit cautious, even if Brazil are famed for something else. And Militao will, will probably be a really important player for them in in m- multiple roles. I might suggest at times. Mm, yeah, no, completely agreed. Completely agreed. Uh, which takes us nicely, actually, onto number one. Yeah, number one is my favourite story from this international break, um, and it's the rise of Remco Pasvir. The way I say that makes it sound like an 18-year-old has shot onto the scene and scored a brace on his first game. But this is definitely not one of those stories. Pasvir is a 38-year-old goalkeeper who a week ago was uncapped, has now finally realised his dream of playing international football. And he's kept two clean sheets in his first two appearances, one against Poland and Lewandowski and one against Belgium and Kevin De Bruyne. In both games, he made some good saves. He looks good on the ball. He's got secure hands. He's also Ajax's first choice, which gives him a big leg up and it gives him a connection with Blind. It gives him a connection with Yuri and Timber and others. And as it stands, I would bet money that Remco Pasvir, two-cap Remco Pasvir, who turns 39 just before the tournament starts, is going to start for the Dutch. It's awesome. Never wow. give up on your dreams. Still hope for me. I've still got hope. <laughs> <laughs> you would be so scared of the ball. <laughs> You'd be the worst goalkeeper on earth. Um, it's awesome. It's really good. And he was really good on Sunday. He was really good against Poland. Um, he's been good for Ajax for a year and a half. He, I don't. He still actually hasn't played that many games. Like you go on his profile and you look at like his statistics for like actual career appearances. It sort of looks like he's been a backup for a while. He's got a bit of a Stuart Taylor Wikipedia biography <laughs> where he's like, you know, he's been in the game 18 years. He's played 93 times, that kind of thing. It's a bit more than that, obviously. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a stunner. And I think he's forced his way in. What helps is that there's a lot of uncertainty around the others, certainly in the, in the Dutch goalkeeping room. Uh, but he's stepped in. He's taken his chance. And uh, I think it's I think it's passive season at, at 39. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's nice. That's a nice story. It's a lovely story. It's a lovely mm. story. We've had some nice, you know, we've had some nice redemption arcs here, but I think this is probably the best of the, oh, it's not redemption arc, it's no. the best story of the lot. Um, no, the best story of the lot is that Harry Maguire is the best defender in the world. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, it, this has happened before for the Dutch, hasn't it? Now, not quite to the same extent, but if I'm not mistaken, didn't like, was it 2010 World Cup? They had... They had the, a player who'd made his debut at 39 years old, a goalkeeper. I'm going to look this up. Um, they, it, I'm well, pretty did, sure. Didn't they have Stecklenburg or something? Wasn't yeah, it no, that? no, Stecklenburg was in was the, the starter. But I think I'm pretty sure there was a, a player who went to the Dutch World Cup, a goalkeeper at the Dutch, uh, the Dutch squad at the 2010 World Cup. Here we are. Sander Boschka. There you go. 
There you go. After a stellar 2009-10 club season, 39-year-old Boschka was included in the provisional squad and made the final squad of 23. He appeared in a fine friendly with Ghana in Rotterdam, replacing Michel Vorm at halftime, and as a result, became the oldest player to ever make his debut and play for the oh. Dutch national team. He went to that 2010 World Cup. That is sensational. Wow. Absolutely. So that means that... Yeah, Pasvir is the second oldest debutant because of this guy. Mm. He ruined our story. Um, yeah. But just to touch on the other options, um, Jasper Sillison has got 63 caps for the Dutch, but he's actually had a bit of a fall from grace. Um, I think he's at Nijmegen now in, in, in the Eredivisie. He's, he's no longer a, you know, a Barcelona-Valencia goalkeeper, and he's also had a few injury issues. Mark Flecken uh, of Freiburg has four caps, but also has as many mad moments per game. You might argue he's a good goalkeeper, but there's a bit, it's a bit like... He's a really good goalkeeper. He's really he's good. Been but exceptional he's exceptional for Freiburg for the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't think they trust him and I don't necessarily blame them. Um, Justin Bilo, I think most people probably would have assumed would have taken this role three to six months ago, but he's been injured. Um, and Tim Krull, by the way, right, Tim Krull, 34, 15 caps. No way both those stats are true. Tim Crawl is 44 and has 85 caps for the Dutch, as far as I'm concerned. No way is he only 34. No way Tim is he Krull isn't going. Caps. Have you not heard this? Lou Van Haal has already said he will not be going to the World Cup because he refused to do um, a specific training drill that Van Haal devised. He was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, and so Van Gaal was like, he's not going to the World Cup. Like, I'm not picking him until he <laughs> until he basically stops being um, a prima donna. And so oh, therefore, well, not, like, Tim... not like Van Gaal's a prima donna at any point in his career. I yeah. love <laughs> Louis Van Gaal so much. He makes me laugh so much. Um, what he's doing is literally something a prima donna would do, like not letting this guy play because he wouldn't follow his instructions. I mean, he literally is the coach. I'm terrified That was probably a silly idea. I think it was something to do with. I think it was something to do with penalty research, or I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, penalty but I, research. I know. I know for a fact that Tim Krul is not going to be going to the World Cup um, as oh, long as Louis Van Gaal is still the manager. Yes, cruel rewards uh, mm. for the main man, especially given it's the penalties. He was once brought on to save them, wasn't great he? of them, uh, wasn't he? Yeah, there yeah, you go. Was, yeah. There you go. Well, very good, Sam. Very good. I enjoyed that very much. There are plenty of stories, and I imagine as these squads start to get released, or is it November the ninth? We're not um, yeah, not miles off, off now. Yeah, we're not miles off now for these uh well, for these and squads be provisional squads out. before that as well, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, I'm sure we'll we'll start to get some some insights into who is going to be going and who isn't uh, to this World Cup. But very good, five good names there. After the break, we've got man of the week, and of course the gibberish rankings don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. It's time for our third and final part of this episode. And Dean, it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week is Portugal coach Fernando Santos. Yeah, so Nando chose to move João Palinha to centre-back instead of subbing on Thiago Jalo, Jalo, a defender from Lille. Now, it's an odd one. And afterwards, he was asked, why? Why did you make that decision rather than bring on an actual defender? He said, I forgot that I had Thiago Jalo on the bench. I apologise to him. Jalo should have entered at that moment. I have full confidence in Jalo. <laughs> As Jal Mario was ready to come on, what came through my mind at that moment was to move Palinia 
to central defence. Now imagine being Tiago Jala. <laughs> oh, you are constantly wondering and hoping for your chance. Am I going to get on? When I get on, when he gives me the nod, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do this. And you're you're going all all through these like mental rehearsals to make sure you're ready for that moment. After the game, you discover he didn't even know you were there. <laughs> even though you were there. I saw one response to this. And it was a picture of Fernando Santos shaking hands with Kevin McAllister's mum. And the caption was, getting <laughs> about an entire human being. <laughs> oh, um, This is this sucks for Thiago so Jallo. It's, it's oh. quite bleak for Thiago Jallo anyway, because Fernando Santos wants to play Danilo Pereira at centre-back, right? So he's already kind of down the pecking order behind the defensive midfielder being shifted out of position. Now, Danilo's done this for sometime so it's not a major problem but you're obviously seeing that and you're on the bench and you're like right I'm the next centre back in line you see a player go injured you're like wicked this is surely my moment kind of waiting for them to go right Tiago go and warm up go and warm up go and warm up nope never comes and then suddenly you see another a different centre defensive midfielder being shoved into centre back instead your heart must be like well I might just see if i've got any other nationalities in the bank to be honest like you know have i have i got a grandparent from a from a different nation do, do i have an it's irish nan it's a um, low moment isn't it yeah it's, it's really it's quite sad for him but you know genuinely i think sam you said this on monday but it's like a moment of pure senility which is it's actually the worry here he's only 67 though he's not even that old yeah it's not not good though is it and um, tiago jallo has never played for the Portuguese national team. That would have been his debut. Yeah. He's that's so, that makes it so much worse as well. Like the idea of getting your debut just before the world cup, it, it might catapult you into a certain scenario we've been talking about today. No, no, not if your coach forgets you exist. No, never. Tiago Jell has done the opposite. He's catapulted himself further away from the squad than when he started and when he was called up. Through no fault of his own. <laughs> He's unfortunate, isn't he? Good Lord. Oh, well, never mind. Yeah. Fernando Santos. I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have called Fernando Santos some melon for some for some time, to be honest. There are plenty in Portugal who disagree with his methods um, and, and say that he's basically holding this team back. But I think this is yeah, the first time he's ever been given it for being an actual, genuine Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes. Congratulations, Fernando. You are melon of the week. I haven't done that for a little while. That is the gibberish siren. And it means time for the gibberish rankings. Yeah. So I'm going to present my top three complaints that I have um, emanating from my recent trips to the supermarket. Now, these complaints are essentially sparked by the cost of living crisis that we are all facing. Um, Obviously, we're all dreading that energy bill coming through the post, aren't, aren't we, guys? You know, we're, what's what's the figure going to be? The cost. I'm excited because I'm not paying it anywhere. <laughs> what are you going to be part of the just say no movement? <laughs> yeah, very good. I think we are actually going to end up paying it. No I'm, pay UK. I'm dreading, <laughs> I'm dreading the energy bill, but we haven't had one through yet. So we haven't actually had tangible evidence of this cost of living crisis via the energy bill. What we have had is tangible evidence of the cost of living crisis by going to the supermarket because things are changing there and it's not for the better. Um, I think we can start with generally the price of sandwich meats. They're getting absolutely outrageous. If you go and try and buy like a bit of ham or a bit of beef or a bit of chicken that you can stick in a sandwich at home, just that like pre-cut, 
pre-sliced little mm. little packet is so expensive now it's so expensive it's like it's honestly like more than half the price of an entire roast chicken from the rotisserie 10 yards away at the hot counter and yeah. more than one occasion now i've said to myself so I just go over there and buy one and carve it myself. It's definitely 100%. more cost or, cost effective. It's a shame I'm a lazy bastard and I'm never going to do yeah. that. It's not but, even that. I just didn't trust you with a knife to carve anything, to be perfectly honest with you. You'd end up like eating the bone in the middle of your sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Cut a tooth out and eat the bone. Lovely. Um, but really, this is, I mean, obviously it's always been a bit of a luxury to get the, pre, the pre-cut stuff or whatever. But that, I think more than almost anything else, has seen a huge price hike. And it's really unnerving because it's obviously an absolute staple of going to the supermarket. It doesn't matter what mood you're in. It doesn't matter what you're shopping for. You're always going to go and get that sort of thing. So yeah. you're really mm. feeling it. Can't afford chorizo anymore. Killer. <laughs> chorizo has gone up quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Pate has gone up as well. I don't buy it very often. It's one of those things I'm like, this is given to me when I go to like a nice event and somebody's put it on a, on, on a little bit of, you know, a little cracker or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm at a yeah. fancy event now. Um, um, so, so I, keep, I do I keep that, that for the same. I have, I do the exact same thing at home. I have the little like bruschettas and tostadas and stuff. And I, I, my house is just one big fancy event. You're, you're welcome anytime. I'll be taking you up on that now that the now the Elizabeth line. Well, is close no, to being can't completed. do that, mate. The pate's too expensive. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, number two, kitchen roll is so expensive. Similar theme, but kitchen like I can understand if it's delicious food. The thing that really gets me about kitchen roll is it's fucking kitchen roll. It is just paper. Okay, it's triple plied. Okay, it it, it absorbs a lot of water. Fine, great, great technology. It's just paper. It's recycled paper. It should not be this expensive. If you don't get it on a deal now, oh, you're forking over an awful lot of money. And you're really what considering... supermarket are you going to, Sam? This is a this is a big question here. Just standard stuff, you know, Morrison's and Tesco, you know, the the yeah. the, the absolute run of the mill stuff. You need to get yourself um, a Lidl, mate. It's still, still relatively reasonable in Lidl. Round, is it? Round deer, anyway. Oh. I, I, I found Lidl. Lidl has been my friend for, for some time now, and I, I like it a lot. I love a Lidl, too. Obviously, we, we've talked about the bakery extensively. But, um, yeah, I mean, of all the things to cost loads of money, Kitchen Roll is one of the most depressing and surprising items on the list. Mm. It's an annoying thing to have to buy anyway, so if it's expensive, that's even worse. It is very useful, though, so I do still buy it. Like you, if you if you if you spill something and you're out of kitchen roll, it's actually crisis in this house. So you, I still do it. I still bite the bullet. Cheaper to just buy a load of tea towels. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Wash them every so often. Wash them every so often. Maybe if I just bought one giant piece of paper and cut it up into different segments myself, I'd save money. Same logic as go. the chicken. No, probably not. Mm. Don't know where I'd get it. Anyway, paper cut Sam. Classic. <laughs> Mate, if I if I if I got paper cuts and kitchen roll, it'd be almost as embarrassing as walking on crutches with a blister. Yeah, that um, is true. That yeah. is true. Anyway, the big complaint now is. Rather than make crisps more expensive, they appear to have decided to take all of the crisps out of the packet. There's just no crisps in packets anymore. There isn't. That is it's true. horrendous. Like you get a six pack of Monster Munch or something, you know, multi pack. You open it. There's potato like- chips to the Americans, by the way. Ah, yes, yes, chips, chips. There's nothing in there. There's nothing in there. I, I, I counted the other day. Dylan had a packet of crisps. There was fifteen crisps in there. What, what crisps were they? Like uh, McCoys. They were Walkers. I don't think they were sensations, but they were something like that. Right. The, 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 the easy answer to this, lads, is just always buy Pringles. 
because that they physically Pringles can't. are the worst crisps for you you could possibly buy I found out recently like the reason oh. you can't stop popping is because of <laughs> the ridiculous shit they put in there have you seen you that video that of someone setting a Pringle on fire and just like the oil just like <laughs> it's, it's it's so That's unhealthy it, yeah it's so unhealthy so unhealthy Pringles they are great though we yeah. do love but, them obviously but. But in, we do love Pringles. Obviously, they are the national food of this. They are, yeah, they do sponsor this show, so yeah. we should probably give them some love. But also, like the, the the best thing about a pack of Pringles is you can't be you can't be shortchanged because they have to fill them up. That's true. That's true. Other people should be forced to at least put their crisps into tubes or something like that, because we are getting shortchanged on crisps. And yeah, I mean, it's probably oh, a good so. thing for my kids because otherwise they would be eating twice as many as they actually can now. At least once they're gone, they're gone. But as an adult, I know fully well what's going on here. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm aware you're mugging me off. Yeah. There's just not much I can do about it. Well, what <laughs> yeah. I do now is I just buy a multi-pack, open up two packets, and <laughs> pour, pour, them so pour them into one. <laughs> <laughs> the depressing thing is it, fits, is it fits with room to spare, doesn't it? It fits perfect, oh, exactly. There's still so loads bad. of space. I mean, I so last... Look, you know, sometimes in the afternoon, maybe mid-afternoon, you say, oh, I just fancy a snack. I'll have a packet of crisps. That's now I'll have four packets of crisps. <laughs> I ate four packets of Cravers the other day for a snack because I, it would usually just be one or maybe two, but now it's four. Oh, we are in the end game and it's not... It's, in the it's, end game it's, now. It's, it's, it's not looking good. It's not yeah. looking good. Either they've hiked up the price so you pay more for less or they've kept the price the same and they've just like reduced the amount of food you get by 50%. Either way, we're the big losers. They're killing yeah. us either way, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've actually got into a habit of eating blueberries as my mid-afternoon snack, and they're actually really nice and quite filling. So that that's good, that's yeah. the answer Very I good. would suggest. They're about £10 a pack. Yeah, they are expensive. <laughs> not in Lidl, though. Not in Lidl. No, not Lidl. They're reasonable yeah. in Lidl. So uh, they're the answers to your crises, Sam. Buy Pringles, blueberries, and shop in Lidl. There you mm. go. There you go. Sorted. A gibberish ranking with an answer. Who knew? Who knew that would ever come about? Um, and on that bombshell, we are going to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Mr. Samtai. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. As ever, we really do appreciate you. And we will see you next week as we get back to club matters we hope you've enjoyed all the football over this international break and these two uh, i'd say world cup preview e podcast there's gonna be plenty more where that came from as we hurtle towards the world cup in qatar thank you so much for listening take it easy gang Bye.